Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 103 of Yogaland. Today, I can't believe it has taken me this long to do an episode about specifically about meditation, but here we are, finally, after years of me thinking about it and thinking about how much I love meditation, it's finally here. So today, Jason and I talk about his new program for Yoga Glow. It's called I Don't Meditate, and the don't is crossed out. It's a little harder to uh, talk about than to see it. And essentially, this program is geared toward people who feel that for whatever reason, they're not a meditator. They can't do it. They're not good at it. They don't have the time. They don't want to incorporate it into their yoga practice, yada, yada, yada. Essentially, it's just looking at all of the obstacles that we sort of set up for ourselves and breaking them down. And obviously, the program also has a practice component. You can find that program at yogaglow.com slash programs. I haven't done it yet, but I'm very excited to do it. I think this is great timing for me that he's doing this program right now because you've probably heard me say on the podcast before, like, oh, my sitting practice is inconsistent. I still am not consistent since I had my child. She's five and a half now, you guys. But in my defense, I had a child, and I know there are a lot of you like this out there who could not sleep if I got up earlier than her in the morning. She would wake up like she was... Uh, just like, it was like a movie. She would like pop out of bed like the exorcist or something the minute I made any sound or just stirred at all. So I think she's better now with that, now that she's going to school every day and she's exhausted. So I am going to try to start sitting before she wakes up and that will just help me immensely, I'm sure. I think this episode would be a great one to forward to, you know, your dad or your stressed out coworker or someone you know who has expressed some interest in a mind-body practice that's calming and focusing, but maybe thinks meditation is too complicated or they're not good enough at it or it's too woo-woo because as you know, Jason has such a practical approach. I'm I'm way more woo-woo than him and I don't think I'm even very woo-woo. Uh, We talk about our own obstacles before we started meditating, our own fears, and we also talk about what we love about it. And I'm going to, I wrote this in in an Instagram post, but I want to just say something. And that is that I think it's wonderful that there's so much science behind meditation now. Beyond. I think it's so great that it's being studied so much and that we have these functional MRI machines to look at the brain and brain activity and da 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 da. But I think one thing to know is that it's not just a scientific endeavor. The it's really so much more of an art of getting to know yourself and and actually getting to accept yourself and you know, my primary meditation teacher, Sally Kempton, has really taught me that meditation is a relationship you have. It's 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 sort of a doorway, a bridge, an avenue in toward parts of yourself that you didn't know were necessarily there. It's it can be kind of a love affair. So it can be a lot happier and brighter and deeper and more vital than than any of the science can measure. 
And that's all I want to say about that. Okay. Enjoy the episode. Hi there, Jason. Hello. How's it going? Pretty well. How about you? Um, I'm doing great. Good. Actually, I have switched my coffee order. Switched. It's two days. In the morning. And let me tell you, I've got a new pep in my step. <laughs> <laughs> so you've gone from? I've gone from cappuccino. To? To a, an Ethiopian pour over. That tastes like what? Blueberry pancakes. Thank you, Pinhole Coffee. It does. And Joellen. Yeah. We love you. Hashtag not an ad. <laughs> not an ad. It's true. It's so true. We so, would totally take one from them, though. An ad? Oh, totally. sponsorship? Definitely. Totally. Definitely. So we are going to talk about meditation today. Yes. And I'm super duper looking forward to this conversation. I have been wanting to do a series of meditation podcasts. Oh, I remember that. You have. Yeah. And this is sort of a good start totally to it. Totally it is. It I totally think. is. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Okay. So one of the things that helped us start this conversation is that you are launching a short meditation series on Yoga Glow. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let, can you just it's describe what the program is? Yeah. So it's called I Don't Meditate. And it is a series of six, 10 minute meditations. Yeah. Right. Simple, straightforward, accessible, all levels. Right. For sure. Right. One thing that I also really appreciate about the way that you guys have thought about this and structured this is you have thought about really common things that come up for people that make them think they can't meditate. Yeah, and even in the titling, I don't meditate, which was which was actually I can't take credit for that titling to be honest. But um, th- one of the nice things about it is I think that a lot of people identify themselves as the type of person that doesn't meditate, mm-hmm. you know, or the type of person that is not currently meditating, right? So it's either <laughs> it either describes an identity, as in I don't meditate. Or it describes a habit, Mm -hmm. which is a more breakable thing than an identity. Identities are pretty hard to shake, but habits, uh, habits are difficult to shake, but they're not impossible to shake. Yeah. Habits, I feel like with habits, you can walk through a, like once you have made the decision that you want this new identity that is associated with this new habit, you can walk through the labyrinth of process and, and and you know, replace an old habit with a new habit. Yeah. Whereas with an identity, it, it's like your mind hasn't even agreed that this is a good idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. so can you just mention a few of these identities that you've identified? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, this sort of goes all the way back. This is this is not what I was thinking of in the development of the program, but you asked a good question, which is for me, I mean my first identity was I don't do yoga, period. I mean, I remember when I was first brought into doing yoga, I had one credit hour left at San Francisco State University. I had one credit hour left to graduate with a degree in philosophy. And the only department that offered single credit hours was the kinesiology department. So I wanted to like do boxing or, you know, whatever it was. And my girlfriend at the time dragged me kicking and screaming Hmm. into yoga, right? And for me, I had played sports my whole life, but my identity wasn't really formed around sports. It was identified, it was created really around skateboarding and counterculture and punk. And so for me, with that identity, I didn't want to do yoga at all. I was, in fact, I was adamantly not the type of new agey hippie person that I assumed was doing yoga. 
the thing that the thing that happened though was a girlfriend made me as girlfriends are wont to do <laughs> and b it worked mm, right yoga worked okay my yoga practice actually worked and so i had to i didn't really have to jettison that identity but i had to expand it I had to expand that identity and sort of do a, a many different software updates over the years to, to sort of sort out how I could identify my personality and my taste preferences, you know, the stuff that I'm into with also really loving the tradition of yoga and with it working really well for me, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know? So I can actually see this happening in the same context for meditation, Yeah, you know, especially for people that are already, that do already have an active asana practice that think to themselves, oh, I have an active asana practice, but I don't meditate, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> maybe I'll buy into Shavasana if I have to, mm -hmm. but I'm busy, I'm type A, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so we just have the, not just the identity, but then we have the line of excuses Yeah, that for most people are, can, can be pretty thick for yeah. as to why they, why they haven't engaged in the habit of meditation. Mm -hmm. Can I share what my myth, identity myth was before I started meditating? Sure. I had meditated before, but I started meditating in earnest in my teacher training with Sarah Powers. And my, <laughs> I was just to put it plainly, I was terrified. I can remember her saying, you know, when you get quiet and the mind gets quiet, you'll, you know, she didn't say, she, she wasn't woo woo in the sense of saying anything like you'll feel divine love or anything like that, but she was essentially trying to get us there. Like you're what? What were you terrified of? I was terrified of getting so quiet and discovering that like underneath it all, I was still just an anxious, neurotic person. Yeah. Like I was, I was terrified that there was really nothing underneath uh, all okay. of the, the noise and the thoughts. And that's, that's all there was. Yeah. And I just really didn't want to sit and have to sit quietly and not leave the room. And she had studied with going was it the, was it the quietness were you afraid of the quietness and the stillness or the rev or what the quietness and the stillness might reveal yeah. about who you that they what it are. might reveal about who i actually see i never was. thought through it that well she had stayed with goenka yeah, yeah, yeah and okay. so she was pretty strict about you know she was like when i ring the bell uh don't move if you have yeah. a scratch don't itch it if you yeah. want to get up and go to the bathroom please don't you know she yeah. it was kind yeah, yeah, of yeah. like this is that's good that's a important. discipline yeah and so that amount of, you know, there were some constraints around it, sure. which is important. And yeah, it just terrified me. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. That makes so, sense. So, but I want to kind of bring, go back to what you were saying. To some of the excuses. Mm -hmm. Well, do you want to talk through some of the excuses? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that, but that's one of them right there, right? Which is, we're sort of afraid to see what is there when there's nothing else to distract us. We're afraid to see what 10 minutes of being quiet and not otherwise engaged with some sort of stimulation actually reveals. It reminds me of the saying, you have to be like a shark, keep swimming or you'll die. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you get still and you get quiet and you actually reveal what's underneath, that can be a scary thing. Right. Right? Yes. Yeah. The thing is, though, it reveals itself one way or another. 
Yeah. You know, what, what we are and who we are plays out no matter what, whether or not we're quiet enough to see it or, or not. That's true. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. And I, I was actually, you know, like you said, yoga worked for me. That's where I was. I'm sort of living proof that meditation worked for me. Like yeah. I didn't discover that there was like a hairy monster yeah, <laughs> yeah, deep yeah, yeah, inside yeah. of me, yeah, yeah, yeah. a terrible person. I, yeah. you know, I just realized I was just like everyone else. Yeah. And that feeling of connection made me feel really, really happy. Right. Yeah. Right. I tell you another one of the most common excuses, sure. a laughable one. I use it. You use it. We all use it. It's laughable. I don't have time. Yeah. You don't have 10 minutes. Yeah. Give me a bleeping break. Put your bleeping phone down mm -hmm. for a minute, mm -hmm. for 10 minutes in the other room. You have time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you just have time. Like that's that's one of the sort of the amazing things about the meditation practices. You don't even need to lay your yoga mat out. Like all you need is space to sit. So you don't need the altar. If you have the altar, great. If you perform a puja, great. If you have japam and mantra and all these things, great. But all of these things are unnecessary to engage in the practice. Yeah. Right. They're unnecessary to engage. Now, I'm, again, I'm not taking away the their value if they are valuable to you. But if you have a non-existing seated meditation practice, you don't need any accoutrement. You don't even need the leggings, dude. I mean, I, I you know what I mean? Like in modern yoga, you need the cool looking le leggings. <laughs> right. How can you possibly do handstand without awesome looking leggings? <laughs> or meggings. Or meggings. You can't. You can't do it anymore. No. Nope. But yoga, or med the meditation side of yoga, you don't even need the damn leggings. Yeah, you don't have to be able to sit cross-legged no. in lotus pose. You just have to sit down. Right. Stop. Yep. You just, I, I think of all of the, like of all of the baseline meditation uh, discussions and descriptions and teachings that I've received over the years, to me, the bottom line is you're just bearing witness. You're just paying attention to what's happening as it's happening. Mm -hmm. That's it. You're just registering. Yep. Right? And so you have 10 minutes to do that. You have the time. And you don't need any additional resources. And, you know, or, or people will say like, oh, I'm not good at meditating. Right? Well, good. Then you should actually practice it. It's, it's actually such a bizarre ego-identified adult, adult thing to say. Thing. Such an adult thing. It's like, well, we're not good at it, so I'm not going to do I it. I can't touch my toes, so I can't do yoga. What a joke. Literally, it's pathetic. Like, why do you think we all do yoga? And I'm not saying other people are pathetic. I'm saying you were adults, we we're, we're sad. But you know what I mean? It's like, our daughter isn't good at anything other than being like the most amazing thing in the whole wide world. But like, her ability to play soccer is not high, but she plays soccer. Right. She doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, she just does it. Because, you know what I mean? Because she's not identified with whether or not she can do the monkey bars yet or draw a cat yet or whatever. She just does the thing. Yeah. So she's not, she's not as in, as inhibiting of personal growth. But as adults, and, as, and oftentimes adults that are actually good at some things often have a difficult time doing something other than that thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it reveals to them their mediocrity in other subject matters. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't want to argue about whether or not you can be good or not good at meditating. That's beyond the point. But the point is like, let's say you could 
let's say it was even possible to say someone was not good at meditating, right? And I don't think you can actually say that that's possible. But if it is possible, isn't that a reason to actually practice it, right? Like if I want to learn a skill, but I haven't already fully fleshed out that skill, isn't that the reason that I should be practicing that skill if I value that skill? Yeah. So the only reason, honestly, that someone should not practice meditation is if they truly have zero interest, right? I'm just going to say it. Like if you have zero interest, you see no value, you see no interest, you have zero inclination towards seated meditation and the skills that seated meditation develop, then I'm then I'm not going to make an argument that, well, you should definitely do it anyways. I will. Well, but-, <laughs> well, but just, I will. Okay, go for it. <laughs> if if you do yoga, I'm assuming you're okay, talking about enough, people who do enough, yoga. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, because I sort of wasn't thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's it's it is baked into the yoga tradition, mm-hmm. right? That's it's actually part of the practice. It's part of the practice. It was potentially the origin of the practice. Oh, it's totally the origin, of right? The yeah. So so let, well, let's go on with this point you're making in a moment, but let me clarify. Okay. Because you got me. Okay. <laughs> and I don't like getting got. <laughs> you got you, you know got, what I was thinking is like because I've given this example like I bet there are people out there in this world that are super into hang gliding and I can imagine someone that's into hang gliding I, I'm just making up hang gliding I gotcha they're into it they got like the gear they go to like the hang gliding blogs they're listening to, I bet there's a hang gliding podcast mm-hmm. and they're just super stoked on it and you know what they might think dude everyone should try hang gliding And I want to be honest, I'm not interested. You know what I mean? Like I have zero interest in hang gliding. I'm not going to take away the fact that some people love it and get a lot from it, but there is 0.00 chance that I'm going to start hang gliding because I have no interest. So in this situation, if someone wasn't, but but you're making the good point. I was sort of thinking about someone that had no relationship to yoga, was not a yoga practitioner, had no interest in this stuff wasn't interested in meditation. I wouldn't try to get that person. Yeah. I wouldn't say, oh, come on, buddy, you got to do this. <laughs> you know, because that's just not my personality. But you're right. That someone that is an, an asana practitioner, I think that it's that it's actually pretty incumbent to, to at least become experiential, experientially familiar with the practice of seated meditation in order to understand the roundedness of this practice. Is right. that where you're is that what you're thinking? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think where I can go there with you is in, is the um quote unquote amount of minutes you meditate per day. Uh-huh. And you know, I mentioned this to you offline, like I've done a lot of study with Buddhist teachers and Buddhist psychology and it's a big part of I think who I am and and the way that I live, but I, I couldn't call myself a Buddhist meditator because I personally, I don't want to meditate more than an hour every day. I just don't want to. I think it's really important to do it and to have a practice of it. But I think that's why I like what you've put together in this program is because I feel like you could do a 30 minute practice, a 45 minute practice, and then you could do 10 minutes of meditation and have a really well-rounded experience yeah. of yoga. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's part of why we create it. You know, I I say this in trainings all the time and to students, which is in the yoga practice, 
in the hatha yoga practice, right? In in all in in that all forms of movement movement based or movement inclined yoga practices are one way or another hatha or hatha, right? They they just are. In this practice, we cultivate both ends of the movement spectrum. We cultivate the ability to be strong and mobile and skillful and proactive and overtly physically engaged in our asana. And we cultivate the soft, quiet, still, and yielding side, right? And so for people that have an existing asana-based practice where they breathe and they move, whether it's slower, more quieter movement or more supported movement or more sort of strong, effortful movement, well, we still want to help cultivate the still and the contemplative side. Mm -hmm. And so to me, if if you to me, if we sort of look at the whole world of yoga, right? And we were saying this earlier is I make this mistake all the time. I say something like hips and hamstrings. Well, hamstrings are part of the hip. We also say things like yoga and meditation. Mm -hmm. That's a mistake. Yeah. It's a that is a mistake. Meditation is an inherent part of the yoga discipline. It is an inherent part. It'd be like saying, you know, your body and your heart. Right. Your body and your lungs. Right. Your lungs and your heart are actually part of the whole. Right. And so for people that have an active asana practice, it's a really important thing to, to at very least give seated meditation an earnest chance. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. A consistent, earnest chance. I think there are things about the yoga practice that are very meditative and, you know, you're, you're honing your focus and you can go to a certain level, but sitting quietly with nothing else is a whole different level. I just, it's just my experience. And, and I think that you can then bring that back into your yoga practice. Like you said, like they're actually not separate. They're not separate. They complement each other. Yeah. They work together and um, and like you said earlier, it's so much of the asana practice and the yoga practice as we think of it today uh, as an experiential phenomenon started with meditation. Right, right. Like we wouldn't have this thing we call yoga without meditation. Yeah. We can't make these things separate. Right. You right. know, so that's a whole thing. And it's funny because people will ask me this all the time. Oh, you have a yoga practice. You practice yoga. Do you also meditate? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> you mean do as part of my yoga practice, do I also sit down? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's 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 part and parcel of the same thing. But yeah, it has a but it but it has a very different tonal quality yeah. of embodiment and a different tonal quality of mind. Yeah. You know, it's and but I think of it as a volume thing. That asana with a lot of action has like a high volume. Mm-hmm. Asana with low action, like seated meditation, has a low volume, but 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 the high volume and the low volume just reveal different tonal qualities and different intensities uh, of being inside your self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and also just going back to those myths for a moment. If you're a person who feels like I just can't slow down. I just can't, it's painful or it's, I'm just, I'm like, like your mom, I'm a busy person. I have to be busy yeah. all the time. 
well, maybe your daughter just doesn't need to sleep very much, hon. <laughs> My mom pulled that on me again the other day when I was talking about she Sophia and She did. The stubbornness in the Crandall family God, deep. is unbelievable. I would have never known it before I married you because you are the sweetest. We're like, good people. Kindest, funniest people. But gosh, dang it, you're stubborn. Yeah, I know. Whew. It's unbelievable. It's hard. It's hard for me. Okay. What I was going to say is if you are an active asana practitioner and you love your active practice, that's great. Your active practice can prepare you for sitting. You know, it can open you up so that the posture is more comfortable. It can open your breathing up so that you can follow your breath more easily. It can, you know, alight your awareness so that as you're doing a body scan, it's easier for you to focus in. Like they're just such a, it's such a beautiful marriage. Yeah. 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 So I hope any of you who are hesitant out there about starting, like it, it just really, it, it's like peanut butter and jelly. I'm going to say we can also flip it, which is to say that, you know, maybe just using meditation apps or meditation devices that don't give us the active asana side is also is not as complete as it could be. Yeah. Right. Especially because we have such a physically sedentary yeah. culture. Yeah. That, look, anything that helps you move and breathe, good. Right. Anything that helps you sit, be still, and reflect, good. Ideally, both. Ideally, both. Ideally, both. I'm so with you. I mean, I try not to be judgy, but this is one area where I'm really judgy. I really do. I think there is some movement in the in the meditation world that meditation is the end all be all. And, you know, as the longer you can sit, the better. And the more retreats, 10 day retreats you can do in a year, the better. And I just, like you said, we're a sedentary culture to maintain your health as you age, you you need to move and you yeah. need to have the awareness of your body yeah. so that you can, you can then respond to the changes that happen yeah. as you age, period. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. little bit about how you teach meditation? Yeah. I mean, I teach meditation a lot like I teach active asana, you know? So for me, I'm very kinesthetic, right? Like I am a very tactile and physical person. So one of the things that I love about an active asana practice is I can feel my body and I've gotten pretty good at feeling the details of my body. So if I'm in down dog or triangle or handstand or whatever it is, I am working to feel, I'm working to have whole body sensory awareness, top to bottom, left to right, inside, outside. I'm working to pay attention to the whole sensory phenomenon and see how everything sort of fits together, feel it, right? And that's where I get my teaching from. And my teachers have helped awaken my feeling of embodiment 
And I'm trying to help students wake up their feeling of embodiment, right? So when I'm in an active practice, I'm not, I'm no longer working from memorized instructions. I'm working from my feeling of how everything is working together in that particular shape. And I'm making small little detailed changes here and there. So when I teach seated meditation, it's, it's actually pretty similar. So I start in seated meditation because for me, the sensations of the body are the easiest access point. So I tend to focus in seated meditation on the actual feeling of being in the body, right? And I'm going to give you a couple examples of this in a moment. But first I want to say is that some people will start their active asana practice and their meditation practice from a more intellectual place or a more metaphorical place or a more what they'll call spiritual place, right? Where they'll, you know, ask us to be uh, aware of intentions and active, you know, loving kindness. Like there are various, there are various techniques. For me, because I am very kinetic and my strong suit, my comfortable place, my best access point is feeling my body. Mm -hmm. I always start with physical. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that, that I think the way that I teach or what I do is physical. It means the physical door is the easiest door for me to get to. It's the first door I get to. So that's what I go to. to Totally. Yeah. So let's say people are in seated meditation. They sit down. I'm going to, I'm going to ask them to be aware of some sensations. I might, it might be something as simple as take a moment and observe the contact points between your body and whatever it's touching. So feel your feet on the ground, feel your butt on the chair. Moment or two of quiet. Then I might say, feel the feeling of your body contacting other parts of your body. So so that might be feeling the hands and how they're resting on the legs. Then I might walk through and say something along the lines of, now that you feel your hands on your legs, let your legs start to feel heavier and heavier and heavier. Then I'm going to start to talk about pelvis. I'm going to say, let the let the pelvic floor relax, allow the sitting bones to be heavy, then feel the, um, the, the subsequent gentle lengthening up through the spine. So again, so I'm going to walk people through that. I'll talk about, you know, feeling the, the breath in the bottom ribs. I'll talk about relaxing the stomach. So essentially what I'll do is like this very slow, detailed body scan. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would call it a body scan. I don't know that I would call it yoga nidra. Mm-hmm. But it is sort like of a tuning a, in. Yeah, it's a it's a physical tuning into the overt sensations, and then a tuning into the breathing sensations, and then a tuning into mental content. Okay. And essentially, what else? What I'll, what I talk about all the time, and again, to me, this is really accessible and straightforward is talking about paying attention to the movie that's playing inside our head, Yeah. right? We all have a movie that's playing 24-7, our inner narrator, right? Mine looks like Chirima Paradiso <laughs> <laughs> in my dreams. <laughs> that's better than like a, a horror flick better that plays out in mine. Dogs, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's much more like mine. Good God. 
So again, that movie playing <laughs> inside of our head, right? That movie that's playing inside of our head and recognizing it's just a movie. And like most movies, it's just narrative fiction. You know what I mean? Like our mind, it's mostly fiction. Yeah. It's just fiction. Yeah. And then paying attention to, to sort of the content of the thoughts, the tone of the thoughts and the pace of the thoughts. What movie is playing and what is its mood? And then just staying with those things. Exactly. Just staying with those things. And then you begin to witness everything that you experience as pure phenomenon. That everything is just is just an existential phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, and we start to sort of get beyond, I like, I don't like, it's good, it's bad, it's this, it's that. It's just existential phenomenon. It's part of the phenomenon of consciousness and embodiment. Right. You know, and, and, and I don't know how to take it further than that. But to me, that's what it is. Yeah. I think like for to put it a little more plainly, you just if you're willing to follow it, if you're able to follow a thread, you you then see that it shifts and changes on its own. Yes. And then you become less afraid of certain feelings, certain, you know, sensations because you you just see them as all ever changing. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, the cosmos doing its thing. Right. Inside your little microcosm of the big O cosm. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's when you then also feel more connected to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Because probably ultimately what you realize is everyone, everyone is subject to the same phenomenon, Mm -hmm. maybe to different degrees and at different times. You know, I don't want to. I've worked really hard in my life, but I, I've started with a lot of privilege. So I don't want to sort of say everyone's the same and everyone experiences the same thing, especially socially, economically. That's that's just not true. But in terms of the inner landscape, our inner landscape, we 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 as humans deal with what we deal with as humans. And yeah. it's, it's pretty species level kind of stuff. It's the human experience. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a quick question before we wrap this up. Sure. Because I sort of spoke to the type of meditation that resonates with me, which is really rooted in sensory awareness, mm-hmm. right? How about you? Well, it's funny because when you put it that way, I think maybe we are more similar than we think. We've always said to each other like, oh, we like such different forms of meditation because I tend to really like visualization. Uh-huh. I would say, you know, I learned mindfulness meditation or Vipassana, if you want to call it that, from Sarah Powers and then Up at Spirit Rock with Jack Cornfield and others up there. The- you've actually done more. You've, I, I've, I, we've both done a lot of meditation, but you have studied more. I was kind of a junkie for yeah, a Yeah, yeah. You've studied more with, with, uh, with more, uh, even more high level experienced meditation teachers. So, but the person who really, I feel like is my teacher and I don't see her as often as I would like, but who I just is like my heart meditation teacher is Sally Kempton. And yeah. she is just the queen of, she works a lot with light, though. Mm-hmm. In a way, she is a sensory awareness meditation totally. teacher, too. Everyone it's just that, like, some level. yeah. Even the visualizations, the mandalas, it's all, yeah. you're accessing sensory. She just really does it for me. Um, it's very magical for me. And I've studied, you know, for which retreats, short retreats with her in person, too. And she has, you know, not to sound too woo-woo, but she has what I refer to as transmission. Yeah. And she just yeah, really yeah, has for sure. the ability to take me personally and shift things for me in ways that have always been really positive. And if I've ever, if anything's ever been, you know, a little unsettling to me, she has so many years of experience that 
I can always ask her questions and then I'm settled again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's, that's such a lovely thing um, that comes with, with experience, life experience and, yeah. and teaching experience. Yeah. And so, yeah, she, she does, it's mostly, she'll do like chakra meditations or meditation on meditating on violet light, or yeah. she can sort of walk you into the heart visually uh-huh. slowly, which is an incredible experience. Yeah. That's, that's my preferred. The world of meditation is vast, mm-hmm, vast, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and super underutilized. I will say also that I feel like I, even though I feel like visualization is my, it's just, it's like dessert for me. Like I just, I enjoy it so much, mm-hmm. but Vipassana, more mindfulness based meditation, more of the noting, acknowledging and letting go is actually a really good discipline for me. Got it. I don't enjoy it as much, but I don't know. I, I still get a lot from it. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And nice. it's easier for me to do that type of meditation. That's difficult for me in a group setting than alone. Got that's it. just something we might want to I, mention. Well, I think that that's, that that's largely the case is that, you know, one of the great things about this program is it's 10 minutes. Mm. But if you, if you were getting deep into the meditation practice and you wanted to start to, just like you'd go to yoga class, start to go to meditation groups where you're sitting for an hour, 45 minutes to an hour more, if it is difficult for you, always the group support yeah. is a, is a huge value, you know? And that's, that's for me, I get this, um, people talk to me about teaching online and also teaching in person. And to me, they're perfect compliments to each other, mm-hmm. you know, they're it's perfect compliments to each other. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. So just to kind of add on to that, if, if you, if you try meditation online or with an app and you're just like, ugh, this is just, I don't like it. It's not working. It doesn't do anything for me. You might want to try finding a group somewhere um, or finding there's now meditation studios in certain cities that are just devoted to meditation because sitting in a room full of other people, it helps you so much. The time flies by something about it is just like, it's energetically really powerful and can help you feel better about the whole experience. Yeah. So, and then yeah. people ask questions too. And even if you're not the person who raises your hand first, you can hear other people's questions and realize you're not alone. You're not crazy. Yeah. You're not the only one who thought blah, blah, blah. As teachers out there, you know, we have so many listeners who are teachers. Let's start having a couple minutes of meditation at the end of class, even if, even if you don't regularly do that. Yeah. You know, it, it's important. And very long story short, I really prefer in a vinyasa setting, meditation at the end of class, not the beginning of class. Me too. Because for me, when you go into a physical thing, people are sort of rare to go physical. And so I, and also mo- at least most of my students are coming from chairs. They've been at the office all day. Yeah. And so I want to move them, move them, move them, move them, move them, and then get them into the quiet and sit. Yeah. I yeah. love that. I would love to see that be really a standard part of a yoga class. It kind of was. It was. But, and I know that it still is for lots totally, of people. Totally, totally, so, totally, 100%. But yeah, that would, that's And I, I'm that's talking to myself in this as much. You know, I, I've finally gotten back to including two or three minutes of meditation at the end of each one of my classes. And that was something where I don't want to say I was lazy about, but I got a little scared about, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like everyone deals with insecurities as a teacher, including me. Mm-hmm. Like the, anyone out there listening, if you think that the teachers that are pretty well known don't deal with insecurities, you're wrong. We deal with the same, everyone deals with the same insecurities. And so we just have to sort of 
get through that and and know what's best and that's it and maybe meditate and it'll make you feel better (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't meditate (laughs) you're not good at it are you i was so bad at it i thought so i could just tell just which is why that's why i just don't do it yeah (laughs) all right thanks jason thank you Okay, I hope you join us for this program on Yoga Glow, I Don't Meditate. You can find it at yogaglow.com slash programs. And you can find show notes. I'll link to it there too. Show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 103. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a five-star rating or a review um, or share it with a friend. And please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks so much, guys. Until next week, enjoy your practice and your meditation practice.